Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Monday evening where we continue our reflections into the great Christian thinkers uh, through the years. And we are on a run of uh, Catherines. We can play a little game of uh, Name That Italian <laughs> Catherine. Uh, from St. Catherine of Siena to St. Catherine of Bologna, uh, to this evening's figure of St. Catherine of Genoa, another striking uh, mystical saint who has a lot to share with us, in particular on purgatory. So we will spend at least a little time talking about purgatory, and I will do this uh, with John O'Hara. John, great to have you with me another evening. Thank you, Joe. It's wonderful to be here again. So, uh, John, if you were to pull out an Italian map and you started in Siena, what you would have to do is go about 80 miles northeast to find yourself in Bologna, <laughs> and then maybe from Bologna go about 185 miles northwest to the beautiful coast of Genoa. And uh, from Siena to Bologna to Genoa, you would have uh, marked the three St. Catherines that we have talked about. And so St. Catherine of Genoa, it is this evening, John, another mystic, as I just noted, and it's really striking that we have spent so much time talking about mysticism and the mystical saints, because I do think that, as we have well documented, we need to start thinking about this more often. God is calling us to have those uh, mystical encounters with the divine. And I think for all of our listeners, you know, most of us have had those encounters. How do we describe them? Well, uh, maybe we say that we've reached the mountaintop, or I've seen the great light, or I had an out-of-body experience. We use these phrases to try to explain these encounters we have. But in the end, John, uh, we are trying to describe with finite words encounters with the infinite, take what is so extraordinary and put it in ordinary terms. And so the best we can do is just suggest. And in the end, what are we left with? Well, this need to uh, live out these encounters in charity. What the saints teach us, in particular, St. Catherine of Siena, St. Catherine of Bologna, and this evening, St. Catherine of Genoa, is it's not enough to just have the mystical encounter. It's just not enough to be living in God as we've spoken to so much over the past year and a half, as the saints teach us, it is about the in God for other moment. Uh, the contemplation is about forming and informing the moment in action, and certainly our mystical encounters that we might have, that the likes of the saints have certainly had, teach us that it is only in the action that can ultimately render the beauty of the gift we have received in Jesus Christ. We put words to it, certainly, but in the end, he calls for charity. St. John of the Cross, in the opening paragraphs of his masterpiece, The Ascent of Mount Carmel, says, we can all aspire to a very deep spiritual life. Yes, And uh, And he says, and he, he's kind of impatient, Listen, I'm gonna, we're going to get this done. Mm -hmm. And another thing he says later on in the second book of uh, Santa Mount Carmel is, 
if you feel you have these things, don't go around bragging about it on the radio. Mm-hmm. You keep it to yourself, share it yes. with the spiritual director. You share it with your uh, husband or wife because you have a sacramental bond there. But uh, it's between you and a spiritual director, and that's about as far as it goes. If the spiritual director says do this or that about it, then I would think about it. But that's, you sure. know. Yeah, and the charity itself becomes the witness to that spiritual union you have with God. In this sense, the charity really does speak to the union. The charity should be enough. It doesn't need extra commentary on the radio or the television or so on and so forth, right? So, um, again, we talk about this because as we are in a current run of mystics, we are made to reflect with it. Correct. Um, Our saint today, St. Catherine of Genoa, uh, she lived from uh, 1447 to 1510, so that was 63 years. And she was born to wealth, for sure, and, and power. She came from the Fieschi family, which was a Guelph family. And um, uh, there, there's a past pope in one of her uh, great uncles, Innocent IV. Also, Adrian V was pope, but for only about half a year before he passed away. And one of her family members at the time of her life was a cardinal. Another one was a viceroy. So she came from a family of quite a bit of notoriety and wealth. And... Uh, her, her, uh, her name was Caterinetta, mm-hmm, uh, but that was the mm-hmm. Italian way you pronounced mm-hmm. it, okay? So yeah. um, anyway, she was the fifth of her parents' child, the fifth and youngest of her parents' child, and um, she felt a strong atten- att- attraction to the religious life. One of her older sisters was a canon regular in, uh, in a, uh, actually turned out to be more of a Franciscan yeah. a group, yeah. group, group of religious. They, they debated whether they're going to be Augustinians or Franciscans. And this attracted her, and she wanted to be a, a nun at age 13, and the, confess, the priest who was associated with this was her confessor, but he said, no, you're too young. So then her father dies when she's 16 years old, and a marriage is arranged with a man called Julian of Adorno, Julian Adorno, and um, he was from a, a Ghibelline family, and this family was in a little bit of decline, and they thought it would be a practical marriage. So they're married. Trouble is, we have, you know, if opposites attract, it didn't quite work out here because mm-hmm. he was a playboy, and he was unfaithful, and she was faithful, and uh, she was also beautiful. Just, a, a, I mean, s- several of my story, beautiful. There are pictures of her. Mm-hmm. And, um, of course, quite uh, well-to-do. And uh, bright, very bright. But also, um, she didn't have a wit, that was what she said, and mm-hmm. also um, kind of socially indrawn a little bit. Yeah, but anyway, sure, um, sure. she was, and, and very serious. So anyway, she marries Julian, and he's unfaithful, and uh, she remains religious for the first five years. Second five years, she tries to go out into the world of society, and after 10 years of marriage, and this thing is just going, I mean, it's just an awful marriage for her. She prays God that she could be in bed for three months, and she goes to church, and she tries to make a general confession, and she has a huge religious experience, which kind of changes her life. Mm-hmm. And about this time, we have almost the prodigal son story. Julian is bankrupt. He spent the money. He's just a loser. He comes back to her, and he remains a, a loyal Catholic for the remainder of his life. And they, they sell whatever. I mean, they kind of have to sell a lot of stuff to pay his debts. They move into a small home in Genoa. And they begin to work in a hospital. And she is at communion uh, daily, which was unusual in the Middle Ages. Mm-hmm. And uh, the two of them just, they live in, they live a continent life. There's no sex between them. They're married. 
but they work at this hospital uh, actually for the remainder of their life. And uh, at some point she becomes an administrator of the hospital, the treasurer of the hospital, and she does not join a religious order. Julian becomes a third order Franciscan, mm-hmm. and then he dies around 1497. There was a bad plague. I mean, plagues, uh, I wasn't, I don't think it was the bubonic plague, but it was no. a bad plague. Yeah. And it wipes out, according to one source, four-fifths of the town, so yeah. the hospital yeah. was full. He dies about two years after that, and then shortly after his death, she gets ill, but she's able to work for more years than around 1507. She is almost close to bedridden and dies in 1510. And she attracts quite a few uh, people to her, and she talks a lot about various spiritual things, some of which she writes down and some of which friends write down, and she dies. Mm-hmm. And then these uh, writings and words are kind of compiled, and she actually wrote uh, what is commonly called three books. One of them is called Spiritual Dialogues, another one is Vita a Doctrina, another one is her treatise on purgatory. Mm-hmm. And so that's a, just a brief summary of her life. Uh, by the way, she is an incorruptible, and her body can be found at the church in St. Genoa. There is the altar, and above the altar is her uh, incorruptible body. And the idea there is, as she is elevated above the altar, that represents the kind of mystical elevation yes. you know, that she was so caught up in. A couple things off the top here. John, as you were talking, that struck me. The first of which was her relationship with Juliana or Julian, and how she prayed fervently for his conversion. You mentioned 10 years, a very difficult 10 years. He was off doing his thing, gambling, whatnot. So she was, for all intents and purposes, without a husband, and this did pain her a great deal. So over time, she lives this devoted life, and in that time, uh, Julian follows in her footsteps. Certainly, he arrived at that point, like you mentioned, where he really did become the prodigal son. <laughs> he was at his wit's end. He had nothing left. If I could just interrupt, he really was the prodigal son. Now, the, in, the, in the parable that Jesus tells, the prodigal son comes home to the same place he was before. A yes, nice place. yes. He comes home to holiness. Yes. Quite. Yes, and indeed, there would have been <laughs> a celebration with the Feast of the Fatted Calf from one uh, St. Catherine because she knew the importance of what their marriage was all about. So, yes, they lived in continence, serving uh, the people of God, serving those in the, the hospital. So it's a reminder, I think, for all of us, John, who may have spouses who have left the Catholic faith or who have left in general Christianity and who have gone into a waywardness, if you will, to pray fervently for them. You know, we often turn to the example of the mother of St. Augustine and St. Monica, who prayed so fervently for her son, and yet there were so many others. Here you have another example of St. Catherine of Genoa praying fervently for the conversion of her husband. I think a lot of our listeners need to hear this right now, Uh, the need to pray for those closest to us who are away from God, and at the same time realize that in the end, this is in God's hands. Providentially speaking, uh, it is in God's hands. And maybe, just maybe, John, God would allow something like this, because as St. Monica reminds us, it was in praying so ardently for her son that she discovered God anew. Yes. Would have she prayed so fervently or ardently or so often if her son wasn't in need of conversion? Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. She didn't know. But, truth be told, all we do know is the conversion stories that we know, and in this case, the conversion story of one Julian. So 
again to all of our listeners, stay fervent in your prayer for those who have drifted away from the Catholic Church or who more generally have drifted away from God. God desires all souls, so don't give up. Uh, Very important. That being said, another key piece here, John, as you noted her three volumes, is her work on purgatory. Now, Emeritus Benedict XVI, in his commentary to St. Catherine of Genoa, I think makes a very important point for all of our listeners to engage, and it is this. What St. Catherine of Genoa offers us in her treatment on purgatory is unique to St. Catherine in this sense. This is Benedict XVI. The first original passage concerns the place of the purification of souls. In her day, it was depicted mainly using images linked to space. A certain space was conceived of in which purgatory was supposed to be located. Catherine, however, did not see purgatory as a scene in the bowels of the earth. For her, it is not an exterior, but rather an interior fire. This is purgatory an interior fire or an inner fire. So uh, St. Catherine of Genoa speaks of the soul's journey of purification on the way to full communion with God, starting from her own experience of profound sorrow for the sins committed in comparison with God's infinite love. Uh, So you spoke earlier, John, of her moment of conversion. Uh, She saw this as the beginning of her purification process. A discussion on purgatory, quite important. Yeah, she says, souls in purgatory are exempt from self-love. Interesting. They don't go around comparing themselves with others. Who's getting out of here first, me or someone else? (laughs) Or they got out of here before I did? Wait, wait, wait. No, none of that goes on. There's no self-love, and it's a happy place, from Mm -hmm. what I was able to to get from Mm -hmm. her description. It was a, a happy place because you want to cleanse yourself so you can be pure. You're truly drawn to this holiness, totally drawn to this holiness, and you're willing to go through what you have to do to get there because it is just the best thing you can you can do. Yeah. I mean, think of some of these people that go to these, I don't know, typical colleges or academies. They want to be there. Yeah. You know, and it seems to me that this might be a little bit of what purgatory was like, but you were glad and you were happy to be there. You want to be there because you have an understanding of what's necessary with the end in mind. For those souls in purgatory, as the likes of a St. Catherine of Genoa would speak to it, as well as Thomas Aquinas, there is a clear understanding of what is necessary with the end in mind. Uh, so why would you be concerned with anything else other than being purified in the fire of God's love? Yeah. Oh, by the way, John... Um, for some of our listeners, they might be asking the question, well, this isn't rooted in Scripture, you know, where do you oh, get this? No, no, no. <laughs> if you were to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, listen to Paul speak to uh, the church of Corinth. This is, uh, we'll pick up, let's see here, John, in verse 10. According to the commission of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and another man is building upon it. Let each man take care how he builds upon it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become manifest. For the day, the day being capitalized, of course, John, will disclose it, because it will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. 
If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. You see, now, listen to this verse. This is verse 15. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So as most commentaries talk about, you know, some Christian workers whose efforts might be shabby and imperfect will pass through God's fiery judgment, John, like a man who barely escapes a burning building with his life. This prelude to salvation will involve painful spiritual consequences, which, though severe, will spare them eternal damnation. And of course, it is in uh, the Catholic tradition of this very verse, John, that the Catholic Church affirms the teaching on purgatory. Purgatory is a final stage of purification for those who are destined for heaven, but depart from this life still burdened with venial sins or with an unpaid debt of temporal punishment incurred from past sins. To speak of God's fire is to speak of God's purifying love. Thank God for purgatory. If you only, you know, when we died, you had to be perfect. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> the population would be rather slender. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, we say, well, let us shoot for purgatory. Um, okay, all fine and well, but what if you miss? Yeah, right. We should be saying, let us shoot for, yeah. for heaven, and if we miss heaven, we get purgatory. <laughs> right. <laughs> we don't want to shoot for purgatory and miss and end up in hell, right? No. Purgatory is something that comes to us from the very heart, John, of sacred scripture. Yeah, and I think that it was confirmed, my history might be a little goofier, I think it was confirmed in the Council of Florence. Now, there were several councils in Florence, and, but I think it might have been all close to her own time. Mm-hmm. And also, I think the Council of Trent also uh, reaffirmed purgatory as being part of Catholic doctrine. Yeah, you move from the, the Council of Florence in 1439 to the Council of Trent in 1563, where it was where it was ratified. And it's to remember, John, when you start talking about sacred tradition like this, that in the end, all truths are at least in seed form in sacred scripture, and they mature through the years. And when the time is right, the birth of these truths are seen for what they are. It's kind of like the child in the womb. Only when the time is right will the child come forth. And uh, many truths, as they are tied to the Catholic faith, come forth when the time is right, or at least a deeper understanding of what those truths are. Yeah, yeah. Um, I hope this isn't off topic, but in Dante's great poem, oh, Purgatory not is at all. Be- not beautifully at all. described. Yes, yes. And people, you know, he goes from hell to purgatory, and the, I mean, it's a, just a black and white difference, because mm-hmm. the souls in purgatory are glad to be there. One of the first ones I met was a man named... Uh, Borconto. Now, Borconto was a, a soldier, a bad guy, and he gets an arrow right through the neck, and he's lying down there on the grass of the battlefield with a little bit of consciousness and only a couple of minutes of life left, and he says the word Maria, Maria Mary, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. trying to come back, and I mean, he just gets in by the skin of his teeth, so to speak, and he's happy as he can be to be there. It'll be kind of a long time. Mm-hmm. John, maybe for our listeners, if you can just give a snapshot of what you're talking about right now as it relates to Dante and the Divine Comedy, just for our listeners who might not be familiar with it. Well, he wrote a poem uh, before uh, Catherine of Genoa, uh, around 1250, in Italian, and it's a three-part poem in which he is having a, he's having a tough time in his life, and he's just not doing well at all. And he winds up in a spot which is awful, and a guide 
says, God wants you to find out what's going on. And this guy takes them through hell. So Inferno is the first part of this book. And there you see awful things going mm-hmm. on. And mm-hmm. there are all kinds of yeah. people of some note are there. Yeah, yeah. And at the very bottom of hell, there is <laughs> Satan himself encased in huge ice. Yeah. Oh. And then his guy takes them across the river. Oh, I forget the name of the river now. But anyway, into Purgatory. And Purgatory is like a mountain. And you mm-hmm. go up this mountain. And as he starts to go up this mountain, he meets the man who has the arrow through the throat. He's mm-hmm. kind of at the bottom. And as he goes up, he meets other souls, and they are happy to be there. And they get a little happier as you get towards the top. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, he gets into heaven where he meets saints. Just a little aside, St. Thomas Aquinas, the Dominican, describes the Franciscans and loves them. And St. Francis of Assisi describes the Dominicans and loves them. So mm-hmm. we have all this love going yeah, on. Yeah. <laughs> and an interesting little thing, he meets he meets two souls at the, the lowest rung of heaven. Yes. And he says, well, wouldn't you guys like to be a little higher up? Yeah. Oh, no, no, this is just where Jesus wants us. We want to be exactly where Jesus wants us. Yeah. And I think, wow, that, you know, that really yeah. is yeah. what it's all about. That's, yes. that's love, yeah. Yeah, the, the acceptance of the truth of where Jesus wants yes. you. John Paul II talks about this as really a real sign of conversion, that you've accepted exactly where Jesus wants you, um, and that rings true. In, it in, reminds in, me of uh, St. Catherine's conception, where there's no ego involved, mm-hmm. you know? We yeah. are not into self yeah. at all. And, and rightfully so, because these kinds of reflections, John, as we talk about them, provide for us more insight into reality as we ought to see it. And, and I want to go back to this image of, of this purifying fire. If we know that we need to be purified, then we accept, right, accept that purification for what it is, because we see it as necessary to be in union with God. Huh? This is what heaven is about. It is yeah. our joy. And so whatever it is that God puts before us, we will accept because we see it as necessary. Okay, very good. John, last piece here. St. Catherine of Genoa spent many days inside the walls of this hospital. And what is the name of this hospital? Is it, it is called a Pamatoni. Pa, right, yeah, the Pamatoni yeah, Hospital yeah, in Genoa. Pamatoni Hospital in Genoa. They lived close by, and then they moved in. Julian and her, and, and yes. they're, you know, so they yes. lived there. So they lived inside this hospital. And when I was thinking about this, you know, we have the spiritual works of mercy, and we have the corporal works of mercy. And one of the corporal works of mercy is to to visit the sick, right? To spend time with the sick. And why do we do this? Because Jesus Christ says in Matthew 25, 40, to to the least one you do unto me. Yes, that's part of it. We go to those on the margins and we love as God calls us to love. But also, John, there's something else going on that is often overlooked. It is Jesus himself who is ministering to us in the poorest of the poor. So many people ask, well, how do the saints do this? Where do they get their energy Um, How do they go about serving the way they do? Well, first and foremost, they have sustained themselves in the spiritual food of of the grace of God for sure. But also, there's something else going on. To go to the one on the margins, to go to that person or this person who is in need of being loved, what we get in return is exponential. The very love of Jesus Christ— Certainly, this is something that Pope Francis has been ringing home. We go to the poor, and we allow the poor to minister to us. St. Catherine of Genoa spends her days in the hospital, 
serving those who are most in need and knowing that she may possibly die because you said it, John, 80% exactly. of Genoa was being wiped out by this illness. And all those people are coming to the hospital. Yeah. And so she knows she's putting her life on the line. But at the same time, as she puts her life on the line, she recognizes, recognizes the gift that comes with putting her life on the line. Yeah. You know, she has entered into, we can say, God's arithmetic. What do I mean? Loss equals profit. Ah, interesting. Right? When we give ourselves away, we get back so much more. And it's there where we increase yeah. in our spiritual energy, if you will, because of the way God ministers to us. And we cannot do this without the grace of God, for sure. But we do cooperate in God's grace, and in return, He gives us so much more. Right. Now, she had a fairly long life, I guess, for that time. But, sure. it, you know, she did have her, her worldly aspect, not that it was necessarily, it wasn't sinful, but she had her worldly side, and then there was the big conversion when she is about 26, 27 years old. She and Julian got together, and off to the hospital they went and did their best. Interesting. She was never religious, but she was certainly, while not being a religious, she was very religious. You know? Yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying, and, and another point to highlight, John, so often today people think, well, I have to join a religious community Not or an all, order yeah. um, to become holy or to become a saint. And if anything is coming through in these days of the new evangelization, it is about the universal call to holiness, the universal call to sanctity and holiness. And whether you are wearing a habit or not, God calls you to be holy. God calls you to be set apart. God calls you, as St. John of the Cross reminds us, to enter into this mystical union with Jesus Christ. This is why he came. The whole dispensation of the new covenant, John, is tied to that great evocation of Abba, Father. Yeah. That's where it starts. And certainly for St. Catherine of Genoa, that was what her whole life was about. Yes. And amen to her witness, her charity, to the poorest of the poor, and what she teaches us about sometimes these things that we forget about, that we need to reflect with. And of course, I'm thinking about purgatory. Yes, indeed. So all very important. I don't know, John, if you have any closing thoughts. I like these lines, which give me an example yeah. of how holiness is. And remember, she was a mystic. And in a sense, we can all become mystics. I'm mean, not saying we go out and just, Absolutely, And John. we should may make an effort, you know? That's really right, try John. to get in contact with God. Very good. Let us close with a word of prayer, John, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 6.30 p.m. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.